Hi everyone, Lucas Werner here. If you've been enjoying these conversations with artists, I invite you to come visit David's Werner Gallery exhibitions in person. We're located in New York, Los Angeles, London, Paris, and Hong Kong. New exhibitions open each month. Plan your visit at davidswerner.com. I'm Rujeko Hockley, and I'm a curator. I'm Hank Willis-Thomas, and I am a person. From David Zwerner, this is Dialogues, a podcast about artists and the way they think. I've come from a philosophy that, like, the more that we can get into the grittiness, the complexity, the better off we all are. But I think there's, that's an expectation of an artist that is not the same of a, of a curator. A past version of me, maybe five years ago, would have been like, oh, no, 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 I can't do that. But this version of me that's been through pandemic, that has two children, that's been through a biennial, that was like a very controversial biennial, that's like seen this kind of other side, it was like, and? I'm Helen Molesworth, your host for this season. Every episode features a conversation with artists, curators, writers, designers, philosophers, filmmakers, and musicians about what it means to make things today. Hey, everybody. I'm excited to bring you the second episode in my series of interviews with creative couples. You may have heard my first interview with artists Lori Simmons and Carol Dunham. For this episode, I talk with the artist Hank Willis-Thomas and the curator Rujeko Hockley about how they've navigated issues like public and private, the art world, parenthood, and family legacy. I hope you enjoy it, and as always, thanks for listening. I'm so glad that the two of you are with us today. I think that the art world is such a interesting place because we are all doing what we love and no buts only and and it's also work and power and money and social dynamics and somehow magically there are groups of us that manage to find each other within this scrum and fall in love and build a life together and on the one hand that seems dreamy and on the other hand it seems super complicated and just wanted to talk to some folks who are in a creative couple such as yourself. You guys right now are standing in for the artist-curator couple. But first, I just wanted to ask you the romantic basics. How long have the two of you been together? Ten years. Ten years. We just had our seventh anniversary. So ten years together, seven years married. And how did you meet? We met. Via email. Oh, see, Hank has a better memory than me. You, You go. Well, I was in the library at Skelhegan School for Painting and Sculpture, and I got an email after talking to Christine Kim about an exhibition that I was going to be in on November 9th, 2005, at the Studio Museum called Frequency. Mm-hmm. And it was asking me about work that I would be having in this exhibition and it was from a person whose name was spelled R-U-J-E-K-O, which I didn't quite know how to pronounce. <laughs> that was me. And that was you. That was me. And so that was how you met, was via email. Well, I mean, for me, I worked at the Studio Museum. That was my first job when I finished college. Um, and the first show I ever worked on as a curatorial assistant was Frequency. And so I started at the museum in the summer 
and was quickly charged with, yeah, reaching out to all the artists, what you know, gathering whatever I needed to gather, whether for the show, for press, for all the needs. Um, and so I set about, yeah, like writing my official, very formal emails to everybody. Um, and so I worked on that show, I think, you know, and I knew of Hank's work, you know, I knew of kind of the branded head, but we were friends and acquaintances, really. We were like professional colleagues, acquaintances, not even especially close. And I was very conscious all the time that I worked at the Studio Museum of being really young and of being a young woman and of like always basically wanting to know when to know. I felt very young all the time, and I felt like I didn't know what I was doing, and I really wanted to project this, what I perceived as, like, you know, authority, seniority, not I was in college five minutes ago, and this is my first job, and I do not know what I'm doing, and I'm kind of like, oh, my God, I can't believe that I'm, like, emailing these people that I learned about, that I've seen their shows, you know, and so I think... And I just thought she was a kid, because she was... Because I was. It's like... Yeah, and I was a kid because then I went to graduate school in San Diego and Hank, as is the Hank way, was like, you should talk to this person and you should meet this person and do you know this person? Because I didn't know anybody. And then I came back to New York to work at the Brooklyn Museum in 2012. And a year later, we were leaving and opening, I remember this, the Gray Art Gallery, that's Radical Presence. Valerie Cassell Oliver's show that had traveled there, and we were going to some. Well, I was meeting Allie. And yeah, he was meeting our friend, now mutual friend, but then my friend. We were all in a cab together, and we, for whatever reason, were like, oh, like, this is different. No, mm. she, what happened is she tells stories terribly. <laughs> we were at this opening, <laughs> and we get in a taxi, then for some reason, and Allie was sitting in the middle, and then for some reason, Allie climbed over a roux. So that me and Ruin were sitting next to each other. That was awkward. And now we have two children. <laughs> Skipped a lot. But the yeah, because I, I, you know, then another, there was another kind of moment where I think after that, like you invited me to go to a Joel Shapiro event. Yeah, I invited Hank because I felt like in my mind, if we're just like, you know, flirting friends, we know each other, we have friends in common, it's fine. It won't be weird to like, have invited him to an opening. Like, what could be less weird? Yeah. Do you remember what happened, though? Yeah, then we got there, and my big plan about no one's going to know anyone, Carrie Mae Weems, like, appears. Carrie Mae Weems is Hank's mom's dear, dear, dear friend, has known Hank since he was an actual child. And so she was, e before this even had unfolded, his mom was like, who are you at MoMA with? Carrie oh, May just takes Wow. <laughs> so, Rube, what happened for you? It's such a, I think it's a really different position than Hank has. Hank's older, he's a man, and he's an artist. You know, very few people just are, quote unquote, themselves when mm -hmm. they're young women at work. And I'm imagining for you that as a young black woman, that even had an extra dimension. So what shifted in you that let you think like, oh, actually, I could put my life first here. Mm -hmm. You know, like I could put some of this down and, and let you be vulnerable in, a, in that kind of intimate situation. Well, it's funny that you say that because because of all of those reasons, uh, I forced Hank to basically be in a secret relationship for a year. I don't have secrets. Quite a while. I, I, much longer than he was comfortable with. 
Um, he did not like it and he did not make him feel good. And of course, when I eventually like worked up my gumption to go tell my boss, Eugenie, because at a certain point I was like, okay, we're going to be in a relationship. If you're kind of a, like, as I think you are, Hank, a kind of constitutionally honest person, to have a secret is a very troubling thing. But I think some listeners might be surprised that you had to go tell your boss. I didn't have to. I know, but you did. And I'm curious, like, why did you feel you had to do that? I felt like it was kind of a matter of of respect and for her, Eugenie's side, but also for Hank, that we would now be in these situations like Hank and Eugenie have a professional relationship. She is a curator. She is looking at his work. He vice versa. And that like in those situations, like how as as transparent as we can be would be helpful. You know, Eugenie was like, oh, okay, Right. He's nice. I'm curious. I have two questions for you, Hank. Did you ever have a moment of being with Rue and thinking, if I'm with this person, this, this museum thing's going to get tough. If there's going to be conflict of interest, that maybe people aren't going to look at me in a certain way or they are going to look at me in a certain way. Did you ever worry about the effect of their relationship? Well, I'm one of those rare professional artists who never had their own name and my own and their own work because my mother's name is mm-hmm. Deborah Willis is also mine and one of MacArthur in a Guggenheim. She was worked with many of the curators that I would potentially get to work with. And there are many opportunities that I didn't get. Like most of her friends never hooked me up. And so and I don't I don't you know, I don't hold it against them. I don't hold it against them. But that's really interesting that you had that you have that framework, of course. But also my mom never hesitated to hook me up. And so and I and so I had to most of my twenties I was navigating who am I separate from my mother's work her career but i also had this panopticon experience where you're like where, you know i'm i'm out at joel shapiro's at moma and my mom's texting me who you with so like i never really got a chance to navigate the art world in a way that i felt completely you know so i'd go somewhere I'd like oh your mom just left your parents just left and i was deb's son hank you know and i later she became hank's mom mm-hmm. but i think the tension was more when she did the Whitney Biennial, like, I was definitely not going to be in it. I mean, I was so excited, though, that Scott Rothkoff actually got uh, led, spearheaded an acquisition. I don't know, without telling you. I recused myself. I wasn't part of it. So, but it's like a I didn't awkward. even know what's happening. And then at the Brooklyn Museum, I don't know, it was, I'm also good friends with Anne. But I think the thing for me, like, the thing that's really relevant about um, about Deb, about Hank's mom, among her many accolades and really incredible presence in in the world, in our field, I would say that like she, because of the way that he grew up and what he was talking about, about <clears throat> navigating the art world always in relation to her, like the thing that I was worried about, like this person is going to like somehow not want me to pursue my dreams or like somehow it's gonna it's always gonna be about them or like it really like the opposite I think Hank was so was so kind of inculcated in this idea that we're in it together we're collaborative like no one is doing it alone like even if I wanted to be alone no one's gonna see me that way that I think I personally really draw back to him being his mother's son and really making not just peace but actually finding kind of creativity finding like 
renewal, finding like an extension of his practice by virtue of that connection, not being feeling that he's limited by it. One of the things I wanted to ask you both, you're a young couple, you have a young family now, right? Mm -hmm. You have two small children. Mm -hmm. How old are they? Four and a half and two. One of the things we kind of accept as a like a cliche truism about being an artist, but I think it's also kind of true about being a curator, is that it's all consuming. It gets everything, your love, your all your emotions, your your physical labor, your mental labor, your emotional labor, right? It's, it's bottomless. And of course, that's what motherhood is supposed to be too, right? You have jobs that are your lives, mm-hmm. right? And how do the two of you navigate that? How do you make make time for either yourselves, each other as a couple, the children that isn't related to art? Or do you? Is it always through the filter of art? I mean, I think that is the hardest thing. And that is like a constant work in progress. I think we really struggle actually to to figure that out and to figure out the balance between yeah like oh it's like it's it's gala season (laughs) there's another gala season in the spring and there's like events and the art world is not set up to accommodate i want to go to the (laughs) this is our daughter she came with us to the gordon parks foundation gala because you know i think I think our attempt, and again, this I think is how Hank grew up, and I grew up also this way, and we try to bring them to things when we can. Like The other answer is like we have really incredible childcare, mm. and it's 100%, it is 150% not possible. It would not be possible. How? Right. It's not possible. And I don't think that's just the art world. I think that's just like work, the work world, and like the world of children are not, are diametrically opposed to each other. Especially because the thing that's, one of the things that's really challenging, because a brew and my mom and me, there te- seems to be always four nights a week something that one of like my mom has an opening, Rue mm-hmm. has an opening, I have an opening, Rue's getting right. Like my mom, like there's like always something. And one of the things that I think is very different in today's work culture, like I just think like in the eighties and seventies, especially in New York, especially women in our world, like this is my kid. I was just there. You know, right. like I would spend half of my day at my mom's job. If she worked till nine, I was there with her. I'm mm-hmm. there, And I don't think we, there's not, I don't see kids like in the workplace in the same way. I don't think there's like a camaraderie and understanding about like how this is just a part of who we are in the same way. But we were very lucky this year because I had two really major opportunities. One in Boston, the Embrace, right, which our daughters got to be there for that kind of amazing opening event and then i just won a i was received a award at the white house the medal of the arts congratulations Um, i saw that it's fantastic thank you my but the highlight is my daughter our daughter our older daughter Lindsay, going to school the next day and telling her teacher that she high-fived the the first lady at the white house and teachers being like like, what so my daddy won a gold medal at the White House, and I had five first lady. Like yeah. that, that, that's and and so I think being able to honor our parents, but also our children in that way, and to get them to be get to be there with them, it kind of gives everything more purpose, mm. uh, more meaning. Mm. Um, but I think you know my relationship to to the art world and the like nights and weekends requirement has shifted dramatically, and like 
at this point, like how many, I have been to so many galas and God bless. I am lucky. I feel grateful. They've been beautiful. Often they're super fun, but I also know, I know what I'm not missing. Right. You know, and I know that like there will be another gala. There will be another thing. And I also, as I remember by my childhood, I want them to remember that their parents did work and their parents did have a life outside of the family and that their parents did have ambitions and dreams and were pursuing them like those things are both important because I really like I grew up with a working mother I was I also would be like in her office and it was really important I was so proud of her and Mm. it was really important to me right so there's definitely that balance between them seeing like hard work being in the world doing the things Mm -hmm. that we need to do and like snuggles and being together and like putting you to bed and yes being there in the middle of the night you did include hank in your show inheritance at the whitney and i was curious about it was he in the was he on the checklist from the start how did you give yourself the permission to let him be in your show well he wasn't on the checklist from the start because that entire section of the show which is kind of looking at how artists borrow from inherit from other artists really thinking about art history wasn't initially that was kind of a later development um so as as you know from making shows it kind of it it might look at the end like everything was preordained but of course it is a winding path and things come on things come off like great ideas don't end up actually in the show i really remember i was like on my way home and i was like oh my god jack should be in the section like i had felt like there is this unspoken thing about the conflict of interest, right. the perception of kind of unfair treatment of nepotism. And I think the thing that gave me permission was one that I really, truly organically was like this popped into my head and it was so perfect kind of conceptually that it was kind of unassailable. And then I think the other side of it is having been now almost 20 years in the art world, a past version of me maybe five years ago would have been like, oh, no, 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 I can't do that. But this version of me that's been through a pandemic, that has two children, that's been through a biennial, that was like a very controversial biennial, that's like seen this kind of other side, it was like, and? Right. Like, he he's an artist. Did you worry about it at all, being in the show? Well, the show's called Inheritance, and my work is inspired, was based off of a work that's in the museum's collection. Right. So there is a real... Do you guys ever combat some of the uglier of the human feelings, Uh, rivalry, jealousy? No, never. We're perfect. I mean, you know, I think Hank is the most hardworking person that I know, bar none, bar none. And I think for me, I unequivocally believe in the work that he does and its importance in the world. And I know how much he puts into it. I know how much he sacrifices and I know how hard he tries. And so if somebody else is working that hard and trying that hard and caring that much, then like, actually, there's lots of places. There's not just infinite. There's not a finite number of places. And for myself, you know, I think I was so worried about this perception that like, you know, everybody will think that I don't belong here on my own steam. I'm, you know, and I think as I get older, I realize, of course, number one, we're all here because of somebody else's either largesse, contribution, suggestion, whether it's nepotism, whether it's legacy, whether it's being put in the right place. And I have many people that I can thank, you know, and Hank is absolutely one of them. So I have one last question for you guys. And in some ways, you've, you've touched on it, both of you in a variety of ways, but 
sometimes I like to just ask the question kind of at its highest level to see where we can go with it. And I'd love to hear both of you talk about what the role of feminism has been Mm. in your relationship. Well, both of our fathers are very much at this stage in their life in service of our mother, their our mother's dreams. And that's kind of often been a model for me. And uh, my mother being a professor, she's probably more most up on the, the current changes. But like we I think what we would call feminism even eight years ago is very different than it is t- today. And um so for me it's really practice of surrendering and and accepting that I will while I am a feminist, I am likely failing at it all the time. Right. And this uh, embracing this duality, you know, as I raised two daughters and, you know, I'm really uh, um, in many ways a carbon copy of my mother. There's like a, a, a inherent out of touchness I am from being, you know, cisgender man being 47, being an American, <laughs> um, and maybe even there's class differences now. So like, so I realized that there's a, a lot for me to kind of just stay open to. I mean, I love that question, Helen. That's mm-hmm. not what I thought you were going to say. Um, you know, I think, you know, feminism as like a theoretical construct is important to me as I've done a show about it. I think about it. i think about these issues, but also feminism as a lived experience, obviously. Myself, my children, my mother, the people around me, how it kind of plays out is really important. And I think when I think about this question, it's like all the ways in which the decisions that I'm making every day about like, what am I going to be responsible for? What is Hank going to be responsible for? What are we doing, what are we like modeling for our children, particularly our girl children, about how the world works? What are they seeing in the world? What are they seeing at home? What are they, what are we implicitly showing them? What are we explicitly showing them? And I think that, you know, we're not always showing them this like perfect, like, you know, utopian version of the world where, you know, that's not, that's, it's a work in progress. So I think I would say it shows up in our relationship in that we're trying to that we're trying to navigate these things and that there is you know I never felt so keenly the reason and deep necessity of feminism as when I had my first child and I was mm. like oh shit like there is at both simultaneously like this extreme expansion that is like a unique and powerful and beautiful experience that is like unique to a person who is doing that in the world but there's also just like a huge a cliff like a deficit that you just i never i was like what what oh this is real like it's not theoretical but also i think supporting a you girl know? child and making space for herself yeah showing her how to take up space how to be the person that she wants to be and it's hard like it's she's our older daughter's four and a half and i already am like oh yeah the world well because you've said like certain things you feel like you or feel more responsible to model as a woman, mm-hmm. as a black woman. Yeah, her hair, like how she dresses, how people perceive her, and trying to kind of come to this balance between like safety, <laughs> frankly, bodily autonomy, safety, and her own autonomy as a human being, 
you know, as a soul, as a spirit, as a brain, not as a physical appearance. So I still think it's like I'm navigating all that stuff myself still. And I navigate it doubly now with two young children. But I have to really make this effort to be strong in myself about how I think about it and how I present it because they're watching it. Right. You know? I I know I said it was my last question, but now I have one more question. Because it's not only your kids who are watching you. It's all of us watching you, too. You're a public art world couple. And you're both... You both mean things to people. Your work means things to people. Do you ever wish you were less public? If Instagram went away, I would be okay. The biennial changed that for me, and then having kids changed that for me. I think Hank is more comfortable or just has, like, made peace actually more. I don't, like, love to put our kids on the internet. Not because, just because they should get to be themselves. You know, but I also think, like, it's really powerful for certain kind of images to propagate in the world of like black people, of black families. Um, and I know it means a lot to people for all the reasons. But it's also like we're just ourselves. So I personally, I'm like not thinking about that right. so much because I feel like it would drive me a little bit crazy to always be thinking about that. It's like I would love for my wife to post about my show, but there's, I think there's other calculations for her. Um, but then there's also compensation for me being like, okay, well, if my wife's not going to post about my show, <laughs> she's a curator. People think she likes, you know, there's a lot of like, so I'm, I am definitely crazy making, trying to like balance, like all of these different things. And then she never wants to post our kids thinks we should, but always does. I think we should, but never do. There you go. <laughs> like, you all sound like married folks. Like I think exactly. another part of it is I pour out my heart for a living. Right. Like as I I think privacy is not something I've ever thought I had very much. And then so there's a, a tension there of like how do I show up as authentic and represent and be the person that, you know, I am and hopefully enhance or people's lives through right through sharing it thoughtfully and earnestly and also not like mess up her situation or my mom's situation mm -hmm. yeah um be, but i because i think i've come from a philosophy that like the more that we can get into the grittiness the complexity the better off we all are but i think there's that's an expectation of an artist that is not the same of uh of a curator especially yeah absolutely and maybe a woman I think yeah it's also i think different. there's also definitely like a gender aspect that is kind of interesting because for you to be vulnerable and to, like, be open about your kind of inner interiority is is beautiful, but is, like, not, quote, unquote, the norm for a man and maybe even more not the norm for, like, a black man. And then the way that cuts for, like, a black woman is, like, you know, so it's interesting, but I think it's good. You know, I think it's who you are. And I also think it's, like, people do need to see more maybe of everybody doing that, but I think specifically black men doing that because... Heard of first. I got approval. No, well, but I do think so much of your work is about the dehumanization of black people um, and what we can, the ways in which we can combat that. And I think the way in which you combat that, the way you introduce yourself, I'm a person. It's like, if I keep saying that, maybe people will remember it when they interact with me or someone that looks like me. Right. That's like the baseline truth reality of, I think, why you say that, because it's true and it's beautiful, but it's also about 
safety and self-preservation and like the hope that if it's heard enough that people will extend that to everybody that looks like you. I want to thank you both so much for being so open and vulnerable and embodying one of my favorite pieces of Hanks, Love Over Rules. <laughs> thank you. Thank it's you really guys both so much. Here with thank you. And thank you. you for it was all so fun. Dialogues is produced by David Zwerner. If you like this episode, please follow, rate, and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It really does help the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you join us here next time.